Welcome to Flowcast. I am your host, Jeremiah Washington, and today I am with Sister Beth Murphy and Sister Barbara Blessy. Correct. And um, how are you all doing today? Um, currently, I'm working at um, St. Francis Xavier Parish in Carbondale, Illinois, and I live with two of our sisters, Sister Josette and Sister Phyllis, in Carterville, which is about seven miles east of Carbondale. Um, right now, um, my main responsibility is to be sure that the religious ed program for the children is um, moving along smoothly. That's, and then I also work with the RCIA that connects with the um, Southern Illinois University. So we have a really nice group that are learning about what it means to become Catholic. I'm doing well. Yeah, me too. It's been a while since I've seen you, like maybe an hour, Jeremiah. <laughs> That's good. It's that's been good much longer than that for me, for sure. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's true. That's true. It's good. great to see you again. So uh, Halloween's coming up. Are any of you going trick-or-treating this year? <laughs> no, but I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing little kids in the neighborhood. Last year, I don't think we had many, but... Um, you know, and we, uh, where I work, there's a bus driver, uh, one of the... Uh, the finance person drives a bus from Carbondale to uh, Murfreesboro every day. And uh, he's going to set up his bus like um, it's kind of a fundraiser thing, but, you know, with all kinds of scenery inside the bus and kind of charge people to come in. I don't know if it's a haunted house or what it is, but he's very excited about that. So it'll be fun to listen to him, what he has to say. I am not trick or treating either. But like Sister Barbara, I, I'm looking forward to the neighborhood kids coming. Uh, there are quite a few kids in our neighborhood, and we know most of them. So it's going to be a special treat, uh, especially if the weather is nice, you know, to, to really be able to do that with them this year. I'm looking forward to it. All right. Um, do you all have any favorite Halloween stories coming up? Well, I'd be happy to, to begin with mine. Um, besides the normal, you know, kind of going around the neighborhood and getting the sweets and that from the neighbors, I think it was 65 some years ago now, <laughs> I my aunt was babysitting me and uh, she had lots of children. And I had an uncle that was like the grand marshal of the parade, the Halloween parade in Jacksonville. And so the cousins decided they should include me in that parade. So I was about five or six years old. And I, of course, had no idea what I wanted to be. And so they decided I should be a hobo. And so they got on all these tattered clothes from other adults around and dressed me up. And then uh, and a stick with the, you know, the uh, requisite um, whatever container with material around the, the sandwiches or whatever they were. and. Then also added to the, my costume were a couple of pillows. And so they secured these pillows around my front middle and also my back, my behind. And so what I can still remember to this day 
is the feeling I had when I'm walking in downtown Jacksonville in this parade of all these people that are all dressed up in different outfits of all kinds. I'm walking along and all of a sudden I feel the pillow in the back fall <laughs> and I'm dragging the pillow and I am so, so very embarrassed. But, you know, life goes on and the cousins came and helped me out and kept me going. But it was like, oh, no. <laughs> and I was still very young, you know, only five or six years old. So I made it through. But it's a memory that I, I, to ha I have to this day, really. I can almost see and feel the darkness around me, plus the lights of the stores in town on the square and uh, kind of what it felt like in terms of the weather and all. I, I, I have that vivid memory still all these years later. Well, I uh, have lots of Halloween memories, but my favorite story is about one year in particular, and I do not remember how old I was. So I would say probably anywhere between five and seven years old, this would have happened in the mid 1960s. I am the eighth of 10 kids. And there was another family in the neighborhood we were great friends. We may as well have been one family. They had seven kids. And we often did holidays together. This particular year, I think my mom must have fixed, you know, hot dog dinners or something for the 17 of us kids. And then we hit the streets with our pillowcases to do our trick-or-treat collecting. And after dark, when we returned home, we dumped those pillowcases full of candy on the living room floor. And what I remember, my memory is probably uh, a little bit uh, more embellished than the reality. But what I recall is that that, kit, that living room carpet was a carpet of candy, that the entire living room carpet was just covered with candy. And the reality is probably all 17 of us weren't in there then either. We would have been between the ages of, let's say, five and 25. So I doubt the older ones were there, right? But that living room was full of candy and we were trading it. Do you know? Did you ever do that, Sister Barbara? You, you don't like this candy, but somebody else does. So there was a lot of trading going on in that living room. And I'm sure a lot of chaos. And I wonder how long it took my mom to get the Tootsie Rolls out of the carpet when we finished. <laughs> For sure. <laughs> Sounds like a great memory, though. Yeah. Now, Jeremiah, you got to fess up, too. What, what's your Halloween memory? Uh, that was a very good story about, you said, trading the candy. We did that a lot growing up. And that would always start something, so we had to stop. But, uh, <laughs> <laughs> but my favorite Halloween story, I would have to say, I was in third grade, and Prior to that, all the years uh, in uh, elementary school, you get a, on Halloween, especially, you know, falls on a school day, you could wear your costume to school. And I never would have a costume to wear to school. But third grade year, got myself a costume. My favorite character of all time, Obi-Wan Kenobi. That's who I dressed up as. I was a big Star Wars fan. And um, I was just, man, the whole day, I just felt like I was really him. I had the lightsaber and everything. You know, it was before, uh, nowadays, 
probably no weapons like that in the school. That'd be considered a weapon or something, but things were a lot simpler then. So yeah. yeah, that's my favorite Halloween story to tell. My first costume, and I got to wear it to school. It was great. May the force be with you. <laughs> that's what I was, I was, I thought I was him. I did. But I think I've heard there is a connection between Halloween and two Catholic feasts that follow. Would you like to talk about that, uh, those two, that, that connection with those uh, feasts? I never realized um, how, you know, this tradition that's evolved into such a, a commercial uh, festive, usually, a festive time for, the, for children, young children especially, how that had such Catholic roots. And I was wondering if other people would do that research, uh, if that might be a topic for interreligious dialogue or something. <laughs> I, I'm joking here, but, um, but I was just surprised that it's so strongly rooted in Catholic tradition, beliefs and practice, so. Yes, and I don't think you're far off about interreligious dialogue actually, uh, Sister Barbara, because, um, Halloween, um, it, its original roots are actually pagan, and it comes out of the fear of death that is just a part of who we are as human beings. Catholic cultures managed to appropriate that, like we did so many other feasts. You know, each of both Christmas and Easter, our main feasts, are Christian appropriations of celebrations that were already a part of the cultures where Christianity grew up. So Christmas falls on a feast that's related to the Feast of Light that was common in the Roman Empire, for example, right? And the Easter feast is in conjunction or falls about the same time as some of the pre-Christian traditions uh, regarding fertility in the springtime. So Halloween's no different. And I think that what's at the real root of it is this fear of death that is common for all human beings. And um, so All Hallows Eve, Halloween, October 31st, is an opportunity for people within their cultural milieu, mostly this is the Christian West, of course, to somehow by making fun, deal with that fear of death. Um, and one of the things that I learned is that just about every culture has some kind of festival or practice that is associated with that. So in fact, it would be a, a tremendous path, I think, toward interreligious dialogue, which I wouldn't have thought of if you hadn't mentioned that. And one of the things I unearthed in my reading was how, you know, I don't know how many centuries ago this was, but in Rome, the Parthenon, I think it's the Parthenon, or Pantheon, Pantheon, um, the, the building that was dedicated to all of the gods, the various gods, once that uh, area became Christian, then that was uh, adopted by the, the Pope of the time and changed into a place to honor all saints, you know, all of the, uh, all of the saints. And when I think about all saints, I'm thinking about that relationship that we have 
with each other uh, on this side of the veil as living people, but also when people die, our loved ones, when they move to the other side of that veil, um, I think there's something in scripture that says life is not ended, but it's changed. It's, you know, so it's a different experience, but we are still related to those people who have passed on, who have passed away. And we as Catholics, I mean, that's one of our strong traditions. We call it the communion of saints, where we believe that all people of all time are related and still are related, whether they're living or not. You know, and we're talking billions of people over the centuries. And um, it's just kind of exciting to, to know that relationship. I, when, I, when my father was, had died, um, I was at the funeral home and saw on the wall a plaque. And the plaque, it was a framed little uh, reflection. I'd like to share it with you right now. And it's called, What is Dying? It can also be called Gone From My Sight. I guess it's had different titles throughout the years. But it likens a person who is uh, deceased to a ship. And so it goes like this. It says, I, someone related to the person in the ship, I am standing upon the seashore. A ship at my side spreads her white sails in the morning breeze and starts for the blue ocean. She is an object of beauty and strength, and I stand and watch her until she hangs like a speck of white cloud just where the sea and sky come down to meet and mingle with each other. Then someone at my side says, there, she's gone. Gone where? Gone from my sight, that is all. She is just as large in mast and hull and spar as she was when she left my side and just as able to bear her load of living freight to the place of her destination. Her diminished size is in me and not in her. And just at that moment, when someone at my side says, there, she's gone, there are other eyes that are watching for her coming and other voices ready to take up the glad shout, there she comes. And that is dying. You know, I copied that right then and there at my dad's at the funeral home. And I kept it for years and I often share it with people who lose someone in death as a reminder of the communion of saints. It's like, and I find myself even praying once in a while, you know, when someone dies, I'll pray that there's a welcoming committee on the other side of the, the, the sea, on that other shore, that there's someone there that's welcoming this person to the other side, just as this person leaves our experience of life. Anyway, I just wanted to share that a little bit because I think that really speaks to our deep belief that we still have relationship with people, even if they've passed away, even if they've, they've died. And that's very strong in our Catholic tradition as it is for many cultures, right? Many different cultural experiences are very aware of their ancestors and, and invite them from time to time to be at their table and I mean, all kinds of um, traditions in that way.
I think I think that's a beautiful poem. I appreciate you sharing that. And uh, for our listeners, we will make sure that we put that on our Flowcast um, program page so that you can have access to that too. I think it's beautiful um, and a wonderful thing to share and to ponder with others. Yes, you know, I don't know if I could trace the roots of my deep, deep sense of communion um, with our ancestors. I think it was just a part of growing up. And um, I remember my mom telling stories uh, about when she was a little girl, and we're going back to the 1920s now, of celebrating uh, Memorial Day in the cemetery. Families would actually take a picnic lunch and go to the area where their loved ones were buried. And they might bring some gardening tools and do a little cleaning up and a little sprucing up of the grave area. But then they would have a picnic there. And I think that, that the roots of that show how comfortable really our Catholic tradition is with the idea of death because we know it's not the end, that that's what our faith tells us. And um, the, this triduum of saints, so to speak, All Hallows' Eve, the Feast of All Saints and the Feast of All Souls is a wonderful reminder of those connections, you know? Um, I worked for some years at St. Pius V Parish in Chicago, which is, it started out as an Irish parish. And then at one point it was a Polish one. And um, now uh, the largest population of that parish is uh, from Mexico and other Central and Latin American countries. But there, uh, the celebration of Dia de los Muertos or the Day of the Dead um, was really very important. And uh, Jeremiah and I were talking about that earlier uh, this afternoon, um, how that, again, that's a pre-Christian celebration. Uh, within the Christian tradition, we've been able to incorporate that. And I think it was recently popularized. I don't know how, can't remember how old the movie is, but the Disney put out a movie called Coco, which tells that story of the Feast of Dia de los Muertos in such a beautiful way. So that's a, something to recommend uh, to our, our friends to watch uh, with your families, with your grandchildren. It, you don't have to be a kid to enjoy it. It's made for kid, but there's so much richness there and some great music. And it's, as I recall, it's, it's a great uh, movie that has to do with family ties and uh, hopes for generations to come and the dynamic, the conflicts in those hopes, helping those dreams to come true. I mean, it's, and it, besides that, it's a very colorful movie. It's very, uh, there's lots of joy that way, and lots of delight. So yes, I would recommend that movie uh, to anyone who hasn't seen it. You know, so. thank you for uh, reminding me about that we journey in life and we sometimes meet challenges and conflicts. When you mentioned the struggles within the family, we don't want to spoil it for anybody. So we won't give anything away, but there's, there's a conflict within the, the family of this little boy who's the protagonist in the show. 
And that reminds me of the hymn that is so popular uh, in Catholic churches on the, on the Feast of All Saints. For All the Saints is the name of the, the, the song. And there's this one line that I love a lot. We feebly struggle and they in glory shine, you know? And, yeah. and um, we have the hopes of shining in glory as well at, at someday, even as we are feebly struggling along uh, here on this side of the veil, as you put it earlier, Barb. So Jeremiah, what do you think about all this? Has it sparked any interest in you or questions? Yes, it has sparked a uh, big interest in me about the meaning of all that. And I like how you mentioned about uh, music, about the movie Coco has really good music. We were talking earlier and I told you I heard that song, Remember Me. And you had a great point and you broke it down really well about the true meaning behind that song. You think you can explain for the audience about that? Sure, I, I think I can try. Um, so Remember Me is, um, really, I think, the denouement of the movie. Um, I, again, I don't want to spoil it for you, but in that movie, the little boy sings this song to his grandmother. And what he's trying to communicate to her is that she needs to remember her husband, this little boy's grandfather. And in the tradition of Dia de los Muertos, is you are remembered and you continue to exist in the memories of your descendants. Once there is no longer anyone alive on earth who remembers you, you disappear. That is a tremendous contrast really to what we believe in Catholic tradition, which is that whether anybody remembers us or not, we continue to exist in eternity. We do not disappear. But I think the, the gift of that particular message to me is um, that it's so important for us to share the riches of our family stories. You know, um, my dad died uh, when I was a teenager. And so we only have one um, member of the next generation in our family, my oldest niece, who actually remembers grandpa. And so my siblings and I find it very important to share stories of our dad um, with those kids and they eat them up. They wanna hear more and more, tell us about grandpa, what was this like? Or they might even say, well, what did grandpa say about you when you did that? They always wanna know about my dad. And we even share stories of older ancestors too, to know their great grandparents, didn't know their great, great grandparents. But um, that, that I'm kind of the keeper of the family stories, the family historian and the genealogist. And I just find that so valuable um, both in understanding my own life story in relationship to the rest of my family and in looking for wisdom to carry me forward into the future, you know? Um, and so that's a part of this feast too. Where do we find the wisdom of the saints? 
how do we draw on their power in order to uh, protect us, give us encouragement, uh, show us the way forward in our lives when we might be struggling. I'd be curious to know, Jeremiah, if there's anyone in your life um, who has gone to God that you um, sometimes remember um, to find strength for yourself. Well, um, there's not too many people that have has lost their life that was in my life, but I do miss dearly. And all the time, think about David Clark. He used to work here at the Sacred Heart Convent. And I'm pretty sure all us coworkers and sisters do the same. Well, how about you, uh, Sister Barbara? Do you, is there any particular relative or maybe sister of ours um, that you like to remember and draw strength from? Well, this summer, um, my friend Janet File, Sister Janet File, um, very quickly, I mean, it was only a matter of a couple of weeks, really, where she discovered that she was very, very sick and went right away into hospice. And I mean, it was so quick that it almost took my breath away. And she and I have been friends for 40 some years and um, often would call one another or visit one another when we were close enough to do that. And, you know, I think of her often now um, after she's passed and just to think of the vitality she had in her life. She was a person that was always looking for something new. She was always involved and yet she had been through men cancer many times, not just this last time, but um, kind of that whole s strength of perseverance and um, the life and energy you get when you're totally involved in a parish setting or whatever it is, um, the benefit from all that. She was a real example of that. Anyway, they're good women. We have many good women in our community that have gone on um, to whatever life is, you know, on the other side. Yes, and it's those, those um, simple things that we remember, right, that really are part of what bind us to one another and help us to stay close. Yeah, thank you for sharing that story. I knew that you were very close to Janet. Sister Beth, when we were talking about this earlier, um, you mentioned it was a tritium of uh, feast days. Could you explain like, like what is a tritium or how, how could that be, you know, a tritium of feast days? Oh, sure. Um, triduum just simply means three days. So when we speak of a triduum, we're speaking of three days in a row that are somehow connected. And officially in the church, this is not considered a triduum. Um, in Irish Catholic tradition, they often do use that term, but the, it is not, I don't think, common across the world to think of it in those ways. Uh, I do like thinking of it in those terms, personally. Um, and we more often hear that word triduum when we talk about the Easter celebration. So that term is used in that situation where we celebrate 
uh, Holy Thursday, Good Friday, and the Easter Vigil on Saturday, as if it were actually one day. So that's what that means in the context of the Easter season. And it's actually its own season. That's a whole nother podcast, really. <laughs> but, <laughs> but we have liturgical seasons in the church. And there's Lent. Then there's the season of the Triduum. And then there's the season of Easter. And so the season of the Triduum at Easter is the smallest liturgical season we have. All right. So that's the origin of that term. I'm glad you asked me to explain it. I don't know if you have anything you want to add in that regard, Barb. Just that the term itself is a Latin word, I believe, just tri triduum, three days. That's all it is. It's literally translated that way. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I, I think the triduum that's related to Halloween, um, the most important, of the, well, not the, the most important necessarily, but the centerpiece is that All Saints Day where we celebrate all of the saints that have ever lived, you know, all of them, and that are still living, right? And when you talk about what a saint is, a saint is a holy person, a person who chooses God in their lives and lives accordingly. And so that person may be alive still or deceased. And some of those holy people have been recognized officially by the church and have been what we call canonized or named officially as saints. So that's the feast on um, November 1st. And so then the word Halloween is get coming from the day before, which is the evening of the holy day. So you've got your all saints on November 1st, go backwards, you've got October 31st, and that has been called Halloween over the years and over the the time as it's evolved into this understanding of, of the living and the dead and our relationship with them, etc. So then we've got um, November 1st with the Feast of All Saints. Now, what I love about All Saints is that you can remember not just the ones that are canonized, but the ones that you know of in your own life. Like, for instance, my mother lost three children uh, in the course of you know, life, and all three of them were full term, and they all have names. And I'm, I'm always wondering, you know, what are they like? They are real people. And one day, I hope, I will be united with them and will be able to find out who they are. Okay. So on All Saints Day, it's my favorite day to remember that I have three siblings that I've never met and that one day I'd love to know what their personalities are or would have been that mm. kind of thing. That's neat. Yeah. And then the very next day is what we in the Catholic tradition called All Souls Day. That gets a little tricky in the way you explain what that is. But it's those people who, you know, for some, if, if you think of heaven as a place where all the holy ones go, where the people are, go that, have really learned how to love in life, right? That's what heaven is, we, that's how we define it. Then All Souls Day are the, is the day that we kind of remember those people that maybe life for them has been tough. Maybe they haven't learned how to love well. Maybe they still need some learning in that regard. And we pray for them that that will happen in their lives. So they may be deceased already. Maybe they're still working on what, what does that mean? to love God and to love other people. Um, 
you know, theologically, I, um, I can get a little twisted with that because, <laughs> you know, we don't really know in the end, right? But this is our way to understand what happens with people that have been pretty, maybe sinful, maybe, you know, sinful in their lives, have not lived up to the ideal of being a loving person. What happens to them? Do they go directly to heaven or not? Well, the Bible, what I think would kind of back up the theory that yes, they do, but Catholic doctrine, we have to keep trying to think on this a lot and we've come up with some other alternatives. So that's, those are the people that we, we mainly then, just as you remember all the saints on November 1st, at least for the Catholic tradition, you're remembering all of them. So grandma and grandpa and cousins and aunts and uncles and friends, people that you know of that have been holy on this side, right? You kind of feel real secure in saying those folks are in heaven, right? We know they are because they were prayerful. They were good. They were generous. They were loving all of that. But then there's other folks in our lives that we're just not quite sure of, okay? We're making a lot of judgment there, which is unfortunate. But we want to help those folks to be ready for the being in heaven. It's like um, somebody once said that I recall, it's like putting a round peg in a square hole. <laughs> you know, maybe they're not quite ready to fit into the to the joy and the love of heaven. Maybe they got to work on, um, you know, whatever that is that they need to work on to be ready for heaven. So that's what we do on All Souls Day. We remember them lovingly, fondly, and we want them with all of our might, we want them to experience the eternal bliss and ecstasy of heaven. And so we try to pray them there on that day. We really intentionally remember all of our loved ones who have died, and we hope to God there's nothing that's kept them from that eternal um, joy. And we pray for them. Thank you for that wonderful um, explanation, Sister Barbara. I, I like to think of that feast as a way um, for us uh, to stay connected and hopeful for the people in our lives who have maybe been hurtful either to us or to other people that we love or to, to people in the world, that we're all going to find ourselves together in the same place someday. Mm -hmm. And that that day of all souls is a day, uh, I think, of great comfort for those of us who are still here on earth. Um, because we all know people that we wonder about or have been hurt by. And somehow in a mysterious way that we can't fully understand god is reforming them in love in that period of time before they reach complete union with god and so i that's why i love to think of this as a triduum as a, a complete feast celebrating the communion of saints in our church and at the core of all of it is the relationship that we, that we know. Yes. Mm -hmm. Our relationship with one another and with God. And, you know, stretching it, the communion with earth itself. I mean, there's all kinds of relationships in our lives and the relationship with all the beings on the planet 
really that's something we sometimes push aside, but it's part of part of all this relationship. Right. St. Paul says that all of creation groans and eagerly awaits the fulfillment, right? That does right. all of creation doesn't just mean the human beings. It means all beings made out of everything. So yes, right. you're right about that. When I so, did, oh, sorry. When I did some study on the communion of saints not too long ago, um, one of the things that was pointed out by one of the authors was just the word communion kind of points you toward Eucharist a little bit. And that reminded me of a friend that I have in New Jersey. <laughs> we went to school together a million years ago and uh, we only saw each other in the summer for six weeks, but we really um, grew close and really appreciate one another. And she would say to me at the end of the summer, I'll meet you at Eucharist, you know? So it was kind of like at that point in time, you know, that's where we can meet one another because of the mysterious oneness of, that we share in relationship that somehow it culminates and comes together at Eucharist for us, especially as Catholics. So we hope our listeners have a wonderful celebration of the Triduum of Saints and we would love to hear your stories. So maybe we'll find a way to invite you to share those with us on our flowcastlisten.org website where you can find this episode. Sister Barbara, thank you for joining me. I have, have really enjoyed this conversation with you. Good. Me too. Um, thank you, Sister Barbara. You're, you're right, Jeremiah. I did get a little more relaxed. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. I went on. Well, thank you all for tuning in to a conversation with myself, Sister Beth Murphy and Sister Barbara Blessing. It was an amazing experience to have this conversation. I hope you all enjoy it as just as much as I did. It was great. Stay blessed.